Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers and conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Kristen LePianca. I'm here with my co-host, Lane Fargo. Hello. And we are super excited to be joined by the Kelly Garrett. So Kelly is... (laughs) (laughs) So I'm laughing at at the, okay, but yes, I'm going to own that. This is the Kelly Garrett. Yeah, the Kelly Garrett. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kelly is the author of the Detective by Day Mysteries, the first Hollywood homicide, won the Agatha, Anthony, Lefty, and Ippy Awards for Best First Novel, and was named one of BookBub's top 100 crime novels of all time. The second Hollywood ending was featured on the Today Show's Best Summer Reads of 2019 and nominated for both Anthony and Lefty Awards. Prior to writing novels, Kelly spent eight years working in Hollywood, including a stint writing for Cold Case. She currently serves on the board of directors for Sisters in Crime and is a co-founder of Crime Writers of Color. Kelly, the Kelly Garrett, welcome to our show. (laughs) I'm going to like change all my bios to just say the in capital letters. Do it. I mean, Ohio State does it. The Ohio State (laughs) University. Why not? <laughs> How are you both? Good. It's so exciting to have you here joining us. We had you on briefly uh, to talk oh, about Pitch Wars a long time oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. years ago. But we've been plotting to get you back ever since. Like yes. every time we sit down to plan, just, we're like, when can you Kelly on? It takes me so long to write a book that it's <laughs> not an issue. <laughs> well, we, you have a new book that is coming out. Um, actually, when this episode airs, it will have just come out. It's called Like a Sister. It is amazing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? I suck at this too. Um, So (laughs) Like a Sister is my first standalone. My first two books were um, in my series. And so my series was like a lighter weight, uh, more like a cozy novel. This is more serious, although it still has a lot of humor in it. Um, It's about this Black woman who lives in um, the Bronx. And she hasn't talked to her estranged sister um, in two years, her sister is a uh, disgraced reality star, and she finds out that her sister has died from a drug overdose. Um, but it's kind of suspicious to her because her sister um, dies after shooting up heroin, and her sister always was afraid of needles. And so she's kind of like the only one who's kind of like, I think something else is going on here. Um, and so she's kind of like plunged back into uh, 
her sister's life and trying to see what she did the past two years that they haven't spoken. Um, There's also a lot of family drama with their dad, who is like this hip hop mogul named Mel Pierce. So how'd I do? Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun to read this after reading your your two books in your series because it is like there's still this amateur sleuth element mm-hmm. and that humor and voice but then like applied to this more serious premise and all the family drama like it was so fascinating to see your your like evolution as a writer in that way I just yeah I loved it thank you thank you so much I'm glad you guys liked it Yes, and the 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 characters. So your protagonist Lena and her sister Desiree. Uh, I think they're both really interesting and unlikable in their own ways. Um, <laughs> so you have you have Desiree, who is you know in a lot of ways she's like a spoiled brat, yeah, disgraced reality star, like exactly the type of behavior you would expect out of someone like that. And then I think that Lena, at least in the beginning of the novel, like she's super unsympathetic towards Desiree and it's not um, it's not clear why at first. And it seems like mm-hmm. she is, she's really harsh to cut her off like that. Uh, but I think that that dynamic plays really well. Um, do you want to talk about what it was like to write these two characters? I mean, I, to me, I want to write like real, real people, right. And right. not everyone, as much as all of us are like, Oh, we're perfect. You know, we're not. And there are mm-hmm. things about, me, I'm sure people hate and there's things about me people love. And so I think that was what I wanted to create with Lena, especially because she's the main character. She's the one in, um, we're in her head because it's first person. And, you know, and Lena's petty. Like I was talking to someone the other day, like my favorite line in the book is she's mad at somebody and she goes, I set my cup next to the coaster. And I was like, how petty can you be that you're not going to use the coaster? You're going to set your cup next to the coaster like that. And so it's like she's super petty, but then she feels guilty about it. But then she's also petty again, you know, so she's definitely to me like it's real. Right. In her because in her mind, um, even like with the relationship with with everything in this book is from her, her POV. Right. You know, so I think if it was from Desiree's point of view or her dad's point of view, it would be a completely different view. But because it's from Lena's point of view, you know, you're kind of seeing it and the people who are bad are bad because she thinks they're bad and she thinks they're not doing what they should do. You know, so in a, in a way, she is very unsympathetic to to their plight. It's so true that like, you know, there's there's parts of all of us that are good and people like and there's parts of all of us that people don't like. And so the idea of you know, women being unlikable is really just women being real. Right. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) we applaud pettiness around for sure on this podcast. (laughs) Yes. We we celebrate and embrace pettiness for sure. And I think there's also for me that added dynamic that she's a black woman too. And, you know, people are very hard on black women. They don't really give us um, a lot of the grace that they give other people, especially white women, you know? And so I think, that's a tricky thing too with me and thinking of how to portray her where she's not dismissed immediately. Like, Oh, she's like you said, she's not likable. I I can't connect to her. Like that's going to, I'm sure I'm going to get that, you know, but, um, but to me, she's real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I think it's really interesting. We do talk a lot on the show about how much we love unlikable characters, but it's used as, you know, a word that means this character is, no good or unrelatable or we can't connect with like mm-hmm. people people slap that label on a a woman who is difficult or outspoken mm-hmm. or you know driven 
basically any good characteristic is enough to be labeled as unlikable if you right. sort of demonstrate it too much. But, um, you know, it, it's really an interesting point that black women are treated differently than white women in this way. So the idea of an unlikable character, that can mean something completely different to writers of color. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about that. I mean, anything in particular, I just think it's just, it's just tricky. I think it's from, so you guys know me, I'm very outspoken, right? Um, but even when I, I don't think people realize, even when I comment on something, I spend so much time figuring out how to say something that, because I know the first thing is going to be defensive or, or I feel attacked. So mm -hmm. I literally have to make a point. Like, I just can't be like, I might be thinking like, I don't know, like, screw you. <laughs> But I cannot say that. I have to find everyone because everyone's always like, oh, Kelly, you're always so nice in how you respond to people. I could never be that nice. And I'm like, I have to be that nice as a black woman mm -hmm. or the first thing is going to be you're a bully. You've attacked mm -hmm. me, even though you are the person who has hurt me. When I say me, like me as in my like racism, sexism, whatever it is. Right. Right. But so that's the thing that, that's so tricky is having to walk on eggshells and I think a lot of people of color but especially black women we understand that like for example I'll give an example of my real life where like there was like an issue where someone was saying super something super kind of like racist and like um guppies which is a sisters in crime group and when I tell you me and like a, a bunch of other uh, people of color were behind the scenes being like okay well you say this first and mm. if Depending on what they say, I'll jump in. And I don't think they realize the amount of hoops we have to go through just so you will not feel offended when you are saying something that is racist that has offended me. Ugh, this yeah. world. Yes, that is, that is it. That is the thing. Like everything I have to say. And so I think that, and I'm not the only Black woman or even woman of color who has to deal with that. You know, and so I'm very cognizant of that as well like you know in in the books and the portrayal of of black women in my books too so yeah, I thought it was really interesting um the way Lena is I mean uh, so aware of this as well and talks about like when she's being super black woman versus yeah. when she's being perky black girl and that kind mm -hmm. of switching of her presentation that that she does depending on the situation like she's so cognizant of the the power dynamic and how she'll be perceived and it's a it's a survival tactic like you're saying it's like to protect yourself and uh, just something that you have to develop unfortunately in this world it's funny because um my editor is helen o'hare she's this white woman she's amazing she's so good with emotion and i am really good with plot and i think i'm actually good with character but it's, i don't always put it on the page and so that was the tricky thing with this book where it was like because when i did my first draft that whole super black woman was not it was still there but i did not call it out as much mm. as i did mm. and i didn't um because to me that's like my life right and it's just so ingrained that I, it never occurs to me like oh you need to explain it for the people in the back you know <laughs> And so that's where that super black woman cape thing that I leaned into it. And I think it turned out really well um, happened. It was just because like Helen was kind of like, like, I don't understand why. I don't understand why she's reacting in certain ways. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I, I love that you leaned into it because I think in the, the thriller space, like that's something that we don't see very often is characters explaining that so that everyone can get it. Like, right. I think that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's a tricky thing, and I'm sure you guys understand this as well. Um, 
being marginalized. It's that it's like how much because you do want people who aren't same these are with your same background to be able to read the book and enjoy the book, right? So it's like how much do I explain about my culture, and then how much what do I not? You know, and that's that trick. You want to find that balance because I don't, this book is for black women too. And I don't want black women to be like, why is she explaining it? Like, girl, I know. Like, why are you explaining everything? You know? Yeah. Um, Like, what is that, that balance? And I, there's a couple of things. um, Like, I'm like, no, like black people are going to understand it. Either you get it or you don't. You know, I know I have a friend, uh, Raquel Reyes, who is Latinx. And so she has, um, you know, like a lot of Spanish in her books. And so she deals with that. And I know Mia is Filipino. She deals with that too. Like they have the language thing too, to deal with. So it's always that tricky balance for, for us. Yeah. I also think like with the language thing, especially it's like Google is there. Like yeah. if you don't, I know when I was reading um, Mia's book, I, there were a couple of words I looked up. It took me two seconds. Right. And then I just got right back into the book. Like you shouldn't all be on the author. We right, can right, figure right. things out on our, on our own. But I think you hit a really good balance there where you like explained it just enough, but you still trusted the reader to like go along with you. And if they don't want to, then that's their problem, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. So are you a big reality television fan? Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) Do you you watch Salt Lake City? I watch Salt Lake City. I watch Potomac. I watch Atlanta. I watch Beverly Hills. Like, it's all Real Housewives. For the folks who don't know, we're talking, like, you can just say Salt Lake City, so Real Housewives fan, and we know what you're talking about. Um, I do. I watch all of them. Um, I watch, like, Love and Hip Hop on VH1. I watch watch the competition shows, like, you know, I don't know, Next Level Chef has been on. And so I love it. It's just, I think because I have a day job, which, you know, is it's a lot, and I have this book, which, you know, books can be stressful. And I do a lot of volunteer work, which can be stressful that I just sometimes need just to be able to take an hour and to just sit and like judge other people's life choices. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and so that's, and then I feel like, okay, I've done my hour and now I can kind of get, get back to like kicking ass or whatever for lack of a better word. But like, I just need, I just love how like, it's just kind of, you know, popcorn TV. You yeah, think about just it. watching people be just behaving badly is there's something so satisfying about it, even though it's like I would not want to like be in the middle of this drama in real life. Like, oh, my God, that'd be terrible. Like Salt Lake City. Like, I don't know if you guys watch it, but it's just like the drama this season. You're just like, would you guys have this drama if it wasn't for cameras? Right. Like, it just heightens everything. So it's just tricky. It's yes, tricky. I am deeply obsessed with uh, okay. Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. We'll have to have a conversation off. <laughs> I have never seen a single Real Housewives episode. I, I feel like oh gosh, like, 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 caught up. I, know. <laughs> I mean, the unlikable characters. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> I watched like Too Hot to Handle and oh, and like Fuckboy Island on HBO. That was a recent favorite. And to me, the appeal is almost anthropological. Yeah. Like these yeah, yeah. like hot people with these lives that I can never understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm just like, what is it like to be that hot and that stupid? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, the judgment <laughs> is the real joy, getting to judge them. It's like, what is it like to have that much money and why are you spending on that weird plastic surgery and what are you wearing yeah, yeah. and why are you treating people like this and what is happening? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
And it's like, and they're like, like their problems are so not well. Ob- like obviously, Jen, Jen Shaw, she's she's it, but their yeah. problems. But for the most part, on these shows, their problems are so like fake and like you're just like, if you just had a conversation two weeks ago, it'd be fine. But it's been like four weeks, and now you're like all hating each other for something because she left lunch early. Like you know, right. it's just like, come on. But it's it's like I said, it's great to judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it allows a person to be more magnanimous in in re- real life. Because you can get some of your judging out uh, by watching these shows. And then when yeah. people are on your last nerve in in the regular world, you can just you have a little extra second of like, okay, <laughs> got it yeah. out of my system last night. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a lot of judgment in our hearts and we have to express it somehow. Yes. <laughs> um, on that note, do you want to explain a little bit about the the show that Desiree was on before her fall from grace? Sure. So she, um, it, her, her really good friend from childhood, um, Zara gets a reality show. Just kind of like one of those like real, real housewives, like just about like young, hot people, like rich, young, hot people in the city. And so, um, Zara is supposed to be the star of the show. And then Desiree, who just really does have a great personality, if I say so myself, <laughs> um, she, um, she kind of comes and kind of becomes this, the star in a way like you know I always have like that like one little like breakout star and um unfortunately there's an issue that happens in Desiree's personal life that gets her kind of kicked off the show she stops talking to Zara she that's when Lena breaks it off um, all contact with her you know and it's kind of like this low point and so she's been for the last couple years dealing with like like that fall from grace I guess I love the idea of a disgraced star in um thriller fiction just because there's so much treachery in that world it's like not hard to imagine all kinds of motives and bad blood between people you know i think whenever you have money and fame it just it it amplifies things which is what we can tell from reality shows it's just it's so interesting i think i obviously i write about um celebrity a lot because i just find i find people's fascination i'm fascinated by people's fascination with it yeah and you tend to have these main characters who are um, like kind of involved in and kind of standing outside. Like Lena comes from this famous family right. and her dad is this hip hop mogul and he's got his like famous historical beef with his <laughs> past partner. <laughs> and, like her sister's this star and she just like wants to live her life and go to grad school and like not be involved in it. But yeah, she keeps yeah, yeah. getting pulled back in and her kind of commentary as someone who's like both an outsider and an insider in that world was really, really fun. Yeah, it's, it's I have worked in Hollywood, you know, I've worked in entertainment. So I kind of it's weird because I, I am an outsider because I'm not like an actress or a singer or anything. But because I've worked behind the scenes, I kind of can see it from that point of view. So I think that's probably where it, it comes from is is working behind the scenes where you're not famous. And but you see how celebrities are treated and and things like that. So. It's like you have the distance to see the bullshit where like if you're right. one of the people who's being treated like you're special, you can get caught up in it. But if you're like just outside, you can be like, this right. is shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I don't have to work because I think you, when you have to work close enough with with an artist, it can be tricky, too. And I'm, I don't because I always have worked for companies or shows or something. So it's been interesting. How was the experience of writing um, a standalone different for you than writing your series? First, all books are hard. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so with the series, I knew the characters, right? So I started the series like 
11 years ago and I didn't publish it till like 2017. So I had, at that point I had already been, been with those characters for like over half a decade, you know? So in the second book I had to write that, I knew the characters, I knew how they react to things, you know? And so all of a sudden now I have uh, people I don't know. Yeah. Right. And so I don't know how Lena would react to something. I don't know how Mel would react to something. And my struggle was because that first book was so it was meant to be a heightened reality. Like it was meant to be silly that I would find myself like writing things. And I'd be like, wait, that's not how Lena would react or that's not how the scene would go in this book. That was that's how Dana would react. That's how the scene would go with Dana. You know, and so I would have to pull myself back. And of course, now the, here's the thing with standalones. I, I started this book in 2018. So I've spent four years with Lena. I'm trying to write a new book and that's a standalone and I'm stuck in Lena's head. I'm trying to get, you know, get out of Lena's head and get into this new character's head. So it's been it's been a it's been an interesting journey. So, yeah, all books are hard. I feel like we should talk about that more. Like (laughs) everyone should know, like it's true that like some books will come a little easier than other books, but it's not like, Oh yeah. The whole book just poured out of me. No, I've never had that happen in my life. I'm pretty sure that anyone who says that they've had that experience for an entire book is lying. There's no way. Or the books are, I'll I'll say it. The book sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, sometimes we'll have like a really amazing writing day where Right, the words yeah. seem to just pour out of you and everything is yeah. going great. But like a book is not a scene. A book is just a massive undertaking with so many moving parts and pieces. It's just like, yeah. it's intense. It's funny because actually the first chapter like that, people love the first line of the book, which is like, we try. I found out my sister was back in town from Instagram. I found out she died from the New York Daily News. That was actually the first thing I wrote in that first chapter. I will say was actually the easiest thing I wrote. So I like tricked myself into thinking, oh yeah, that's gonna work out. <laughs> um, you know, but um, but yeah, it's 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 tricky. It's hard. Sometimes, like I said, you have like you have a good writing day or a scene just works. But for the most part, it's like brick by brick. Your your arms hurt. So. That is a killer first line for sure. <laughs> yeah. So why did you decide to move in this like darker, more like suspense direction? Could you talk about that a little bit? Do you want the real reason or the fake reason? Both. <laughs> yes, let's have both. The fake reason is that, um, you know, I was just ready to, to try something different. Um, <laughs> the real reason is I, at the time I had my, um, my books, my series, my publisher closed. Um, like right before my birthday, October like 15th. 2018 um and I was working on the third book and I'll be honest I was actually kind of ambivalent about it because I did not have a good experience with the second book Mm. and um and I was kind of like because I had a three book contract I was like well should I should I keep going or should I try something different and then when they closed I said oh well that decision has been made for me (laughs) you know and I knew um Again, this is 2018. This is before publishing was like looking for black people, people of color. You know, they um, and so I was like, I don't necessarily think I want to write another lighter series. Um, I want to write something more serious. I was reading more domestic suspense, and I was like, where are the black people? Like, where are the black people in this? You know, and I I have reasons. I can tell you why I think domestic suspense has been very white for so long. Um, but I was like, let me l- let me try to write a more serious domestic suspense type book, although mine's obviously still a mystery, um, with a black girl. What would happen? And so that's like a sister. 
Why do you think it's been so white for so long besides just like institutional racism? <laughs> the classic? Right. I think I think I think here's the issue. When you look at um, a lot of the tropes of domestic suspense, it's like usually like, you know, this woman in the suburbs mm-hmm. and she like her husband goes missing or like she loses her kid, you know, or she's like really like and this is I'm not knocking the genre because I love the genre. Um like, you know, her neighbor, she's, like, really involved in the neighborhood. And, again, because treatment of black women are different. Like, if my kid went missing, y'all, I would be, like, you know, murdering mama loses child. Like, right? <laughs> like, that would be my headline, you know? Right. And so it would just be a different book and experience if you wanted to do an authentic book about a black woman in domestic suspense. And Kate Hollihan, who is a black woman who's been writing domestic suspense for years at this point, um, her last book her three lives is about a black woman and she doesn't like she doesn't straight call it out but she kind of if you know you know like there's a the the subtle microaggressions we deal with that she handles and kind of weaves in really really well um about this black woman living in this rich white suburb with these rich this rich white family who's like her fiance's um family Mm -hmm. Well, we talk a lot about domestic suspense on this show, and we just did an episode on that Kristen Bell <laughs> series. Oh, on. my gosh. I watched that. <laughs> it, it, no, it's so funny. It was so – the humor was so subtle that it would be yeah. like yeah. – you know, But then all of a sudden, it would be like a really crazy scene where you're like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's just a satire. But it was so – like, for the most part, it was very much just straight. They played it pretty straight. So. But watching that, we were thinking, okay, this is like this is like the death knell for this sort of white woman in the suburbs thinks like her husband's trying to kill her or whatever <laughs> sort of thing. Like, like I think domestic suspense, it is it's such a rich genre and it could go in so many interesting directions. Yeah. And I hope we're gonna see that now that we're we've reached the point of parody with like that flavor of it. Yeah. Like I wanna yeah. see more domestic suspense with, you know, queer characters, yeah. characters of color, like just something else, <laughs> anything yes. else. Yes, yeah. for sure. Standing. Speaking of the the Kristen Bell show, I was talking to um, a dear friend of mine the other day, and she said that she watched half of it before she realized that it was satire. And I was like, Jessica, how? But she dropped so many casserole dishes, Kristen. (laughs) The title alone. (laughs) No, I saw that because I, I like to Google, like to go on Twitter when I'm watching something to see reaction. And a lot of people, even with the title, they it didn't they didn't occur to them that it was a, a satire. They're like, what's going on? Especially that last episode. They're like, what is this? But I'm like, it works if you know it's a satire. Yeah, it's like it's just utterly shocking to imagine what it might must be like to watch those first few episodes and not be in on the right. joke. Right, 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 right. I can't even imagine it. And then to get to the end and be like, why is she fighting a child? Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it, it's actually pretty similar to Woman in the Window, which is a Netflix movie. Which is funny. <laughs> the fact that her name is Anna, too. Yes. Like, <laughs> Ugh, the acting was better by Kristen Bell. Honestly, yes. Adam. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't watch it, so I, I'll take it. Don't watch it. Oh, Don't watch God. it. It's like, you know, the, the book is what it is. It was grown in a lab to be, you know, a suspenseful book. But like, it it just it still baffles me how they managed to make such a bad movie out of that book, because like they should have been able to make a decent movie out of mm. it, and they just didn't. And it's like, well, how? What? It's fascinating. <laughs> we are deeply Many white men involved. Yes, we <laughs> we love to hate on that book and that movie and everything related to that author, and it's one of our hobbies here on this show. I find him I find him fascinating, but I don't. I don't know him, but I find him fascinating. So. <laughs> we all do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One word for it. 
What do you think about, I, I know that this week there was um, a, another discourse on Twitter about what people are allowed to write. And, mm. you know, so, you know, AJ Finn is a man, obviously, who's written, like a lot of authors, male authors, um, written in this domestic suspense from the point of view of a woman. Um, right. And I feel like there's always, there's just always so much to talk about when you get to this, like, well, what are people, you know, quote, allowed to write or people feeling like they're being told they're not allowed to write something. Um, and it's, it's like fascinating and horrifying to, to see the way that it shakes out. Um, Cause like no one is telling anyone you're not allowed to write right, right, something. Right. It's just, you know, like the idea of identity of the author and the work that we produce is very complex. Right. I think here's my thing. If you're writing a marginalized person and you're not of that marginalization and you don't understand why people might be upset about that, then you should not be the person writing that marginalization, For right? Because sure. you don't un you don't understand the, the background and the history. It's not just about you writing a book because you want to. There's so much, you know, background and history, literally hundreds of years of discrimination, if you want to get really deep, you know, um, and that's the that's it. So I, I always say, because people want me to always give them permission to write about Black people, <laughs> write, write what you want, but also be prepared to be called out on it. Right, exactly. Right? Don't, be, don't get a defensive. Because like I said, if you don't understand what the issue is, then that makes me think you don't understand Black women enough to write about one as a, in the first person as a main character. Yeah, totally agree. So you're going to just do either a stereotype or you're going to basically whitewash her. You know, and it's 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 just a different mind you, we're all Americans, but there are just different experiences of being a black American. Our culture is just different. You know, the little small things in there. So you have those are the things you have to get right. Otherwise, like, what's the point if you're just going to do it just so you can say you have a black character or queer character or whatever? Yes, totally agree. It's so funny when people just sort of get all up in their emotions about so you're saying I'm not allowed to write this. It's like, do you, this is right. You, you can do whatever you want, but yeah, <laughs> there are consequences. So if you do it badly or if you do it without having done your background research or, you know, getting sensitivity readers or putting in the effort to make sure that it's authentic, like you're going to get called out for that and you have to be grown up enough to accept that. And it's, right, right. it's very silly how people cling to the, but I want to be allowed to write about whatever I want. Like, oh my God, you're allowed. <laughs> Certain people aren't aren't used to being told no. Yeah, right? <laughs> you yeah. can tell. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Even the barest suggestion that they might not be able to do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. Why does it? Yeah, this discourse just—that's one of the classics of Twitter discourse. It just <laughs> comes around and around and around. Yes. Yeah, it's like it's the same conversation takes place over and over and it never like nothing new ever comes out of it because there isn't anything new to come out. It's right. very simple. Like you can do whatever you want and you just have to own the results of that. But I, It's funny because I think in my career, because well, Kristen and I, we both published our first books in like 2017 mm -hmm. and I've, you know, sold my book in 2016 and got my agent in 2015 or 14. It's interesting to like I said, see, see how it's been going. And it's, it's tricky now because when I, you know, when like the whole idea of diverse voices first happened, there were a lot of white people kind of rushing in to be like, 
oh, I can write a character who's biracial and bisexual. It's always like biracial, bisexual. And I was like, kind of like, are you doing that just so you can, you don't have to necessarily do the research to look at like what it would actually be like to be black or to be. Yeah. I find that to be so odd. It's like people think that, you know, biracial or bisexual means like you're half straight. Like right. half of <laughs> half of the experience that you have is exactly the same as a straight person. It's like, right. no, that's an identity that influences everything in your life. It's not like, right. oh, here's this one half, and I know about this half, so I can write about this person. Right. Whatever. Right. <laughs> right. It's it, it, it's weird, you know, and it's funny because now publishers are actually finally giving us a chance to write our own stories, you know, and, and like I said, and certain people are not they're not taking it well. Like, you know, they think Nelson, they're discriminated against because, you know, like like now instead of having all 10 books that are white authors, now they only have nine or, you know, right. but it's like, like they don't, they don't see the nine that are just like them. They see that one person who's black and that's a problem that then there's racism going on. It's pretty ridiculous. Like every year they put out stats, especially for YA, but just in general, and it's still just appalling, like how much how many books are by white authors straight authors I mean it's the overwhelming majority but yeah it's like that the nine out of ten and they're like oh we're yeah we lost the one so we're yes. discriminated against yeah, it's yeah. so right. stupid I can't get published oh my god like, <laughs> look at the tiny sliver of the pie tart and shut the fuck up like, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't get it um, no people and their personalities are just the worst like that's, that's true comes down to <laughs> Plus, I think I I think the problem with Twitter, especially, is that because you're sitting in front of a screen, you don't actually have to face the person. People can be real like rude. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like if I, like that person and I were having a conversation in real life, they would never have that same energy. Yeah, right? that's true. I hope so. I would hope not. Anyway, yeah. I mean, there are some rude motherfuckers out there, but uh, <laughs> I assume that that is true. So I would like to um, mention that. My entire publishing existence is made possible by Kelly because she was my Pitch Wars mentor back in 2015, which was seven years ago, which is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely crazy. But, um, you know, that experience of being mentored by someone who is really good at plotting was absolutely transformative for me as a writer and just as a as a person so like you know kelly you're amazing I, and thank Chris, you for I that can, i can just tell you like so Kristen was my first pitch wars mint, minty and i chris i can remember when i read that final draft of it's not called last call anymore last place you look i just was like this book is fucking amazing she is going to do so many amazing things with her mm-hmm. so talented like i just knew and obviously you have like Seamus Awards and you have all this great stuff. Like I I was, I can, I'm just good at like picking out talent. Like that's the only thing I'm really good at is picking <laughs> out talent, you know? And so, and it's just like, it's just, it's just amazing to see that and to see like Lane, you she was the first person I ever requested from for Pitch uh-huh. Wars. So like just to see you, you too. And like I said before, I'm just so proud of both of you. You gave me such lovely feedback. And I remember though, I was like, so, you know, obviously, when you don't get in, you're disappointed. But then I read Kristen's um, excerpt in the showcase, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's way better." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "She made the right choice." Shit. Okay. <laughs> and now we're all friends, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so um, Pitch Wars is is now ending, um, which you know you've been involved behind the scenes for a long time. 
So I'm sure you have complex feelings about all of that. Yeah, I mean, I we knew people would be upset about it, but it was like it was 10 years, you yeah. know, and I think like Brenda said in her note, she was the first person to do a mentoring program. And I think PitMad was the first Twitter pitch party. And I think it evolved a lot in the 10 years, but also the industry evolved a lot. Yeah, so that's true. it just that's why I think we were like, OK, this is a great time to end it because it's 10 years there are t- now tons of other amazing ways that you can get into the industry. That's not just, you know, it's Twitter pitch contest. It's mentoring. It's even like, you know, direct publishers are doing directly submit to them for, you know, grants and winning contests and things like that, that, that weren't around 10 years ago. So right. it was definitely not the easiest decision, but it was the best decision for Pitch wars, and I think that as someone who has worked behind the scenes for so long, people never understood every decision that we made. For us, we felt it was the best decision for pitch wars overall. It yeah. might not have been the best decision for random person um, on Twitter who would wanted us to do X, Y, and Z, but <laughs> we, this was the best decision for Twitter for pitch wars overall. And so, also deciding to end it after ten years, we felt as the people who were behind the scenes, who saw everything, who were working tirelessly behind the scenes and giving so much of our lives to it, that this was the best decision for Pitch Wars overall. And I will say that for the most part, people have been really, really sweet and nice and understanding. Well, that's good. I mean, and the the program has like helped so, so, so many people. It has launched so many careers. It's incredible that, you know, it's been this sort of volunteer run Uh, thing all this time and honestly like it changed the game in terms of what you can do for you know the ways in which you can get access to the industry like that's really impressive right and Mm -hmm. it's funny because brenda had the idea brenda drake because she was watching cupcake wars and she thought it'd be a fun okay this is a fun different thing to do to instead of querying you know and she never thought that it would become pitmad would have hundreds of thousands of tweets it'd be like the top five trending topic in the u.s when it on pit mad days pitch wars if you like look at publishers marketplace and you like probably search for pitch wars that's something people put now in their their deal announcements pitch Mm -hmm, wars novel pitch wars minty you know and again i think because it was so well run people forgot that again it was volunteers Mm -hmm. and it initially was this one woman who had a really great idea 10 years ago and it's so much work. Uh, I mean, just like having mentored, that was right. so much work. And then the like actual running of it is a whole other level. I mean, it's like a full-time job for you guys practically. Yeah. I I don't think anyone ever had any concept of of just how much work was done behind the scenes for free. Right. Because we didn't, we never really said it. We would just do the work. And I think the mm-hmm. last year or so we were trying, we kind of were a bit more, I used to like try to talk more about behind the scenes, you know, yeah. but yeah, we would, ju- it was a lot of work. And I think every time it's always funny because especially even like someone who was a mentee, when they become a mentor, they'd be like, oh, I didn't realize how much work you all did behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't realize because with pitch wars, it'd be like, we'd have 115 mentors. We'd have to organize them to like do certain things at a certain time, and it would just it was it was a lot. So, but I was worth it. Yeah, I had such a great experience with Pitch Wars, and I mean, it certainly launched my career. And this podcast exists because of it. Yes, <laughs> I'll met each other, and yeah. But I always had some like some feelings about how it got a little better towards the end there, but like the gender breakdown that it was mostly women doing all this like yeah. unpaid labor, yeah. like everyone's yeah. like 
a little bit like salty about that, but I'm so glad that it existed. And I think it was the right time to end it, even though I definitely was like in my feelings about it. Hallie Sutton and I were like in each other's text messages being like, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're in my life. I know what it is. I think I'll be like, we decided this was like, we didn't decide it on like, I don't know, Monday and we announced Tuesday, like we decided this a while ago. So I think in our mind for me, like, cause I knew I was probably handled it better than for people who was a shock. Cause I, I think it was a shock to like, I think it was a shock to 99.99% of people, Yeah, you know? And so, um, so it's interesting. But I did cry a little bit the day we announced. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I mean, it's the end of an era. Like, For yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 And it's just, you know, it has launched so many careers and created so many like really deep and meaningful friendships. And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's been such a force of good. And I, I think it's, you know, really, it should really be just respected and honored for that. I'm glad that most of the reactions that you're getting are positive. Yes, me too. And I think it also, even though there is that contest element of it, that people are like entering to be chosen by the mentors and like getting requests from agents, like it really created this community that wasn't competitive. Like everyone wants to help each other. I'm still in touch with so many people from my pitch wars class and mm-hmm. will like write blurbs for each other, or boost each other's yeah. work or, and share information. And it's, it's just, it's a lovely community and I hope that will continue. I mean, I know that it will. Yeah. Yeah, I think that because my 2014, I was a mentee in 2014, and I still talk to a lot of people. And a lot of my friends I got from being a mentor for the first time in 2015. So it's it's definitely the community, which is the the biggest, the biggest Mm -hmm. uh, benefit of it. Yeah, writing can be such a lonely enterprise. But, you know, having having groups of people who understand where you are is really, really important. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. So you've you've just done so much, um, you know, behind the scenes. You want to talk a little bit about Crime Writers of Color, too? Sure. Um, so because of the community I found in uh, Pitch Wars and then also 17 Scribes, which was that adult uh, adult debut group that Chris and I um, founded together, I understood the appeal of kind of connecting with people who are the same, who have the same experiences with you or, or the same part of their journey or same background. And so when I got my um, deal, I was surprised there wasn't already a Crime Writers of Color group. Um, and so I was talking with Gigi Pondian, who is this amazing author who's, you know, just done some amazing books and won a lot of awards. Um, she and I were like, we should start a group. And then I found out through someone that Walter Mosley wanted to uh, start a group. And like, Walter Mosley is like Walter Mosley. Right. So I'm like, how am I like, like, how am I ever going to like run into Walter Mosley? And it would have it that I got booked to do an event with him two weeks later. Uh-huh. Like, oh, that that's a sign. Yeah. And so um, I told myself, like, the first thing I'm going to say to Walter Mosley is I want to start a group, too. That's the first thing I said to him. And he actually called me the next day. And we had a really nice conversation. And um, we started the group. And, like, he invited people he knew. Gigi invited people she knew. I invited people I knew. So we had, like, 30 people. And we just hit 350, which oh, she did a post. Wow. And it's wow. just the most amazing, supportive, safe space. And that's what I, we wanted. We wanted a safe space to support each other and to talk about issues. Because everyone in the group, primaries of color, are people of color. But they're all in different parts of their career. So there's a Walter Mosley and a Gigi Pondian. But there's also someone who goes, oh, I think I might want to write a cozy. 
guess what? You can join the group, you know, and we have this really great good news thread where you just share your good news. And now we've had people will volunteer. So we have a website and we do panels for them. We do a lot of really great stuff. And it's all because we're helping each other out. So it's the group's amazing. I love that. Me too. I just exceeded my expectations. And you also provide such a great resource, like listing books that are coming out by crime writers of color. So people really have no excuse if they're like, oh, I can't think of any. I know there was another Twitter kerfuffle about that (laughs) recently, too. People just have no excuse anymore. Like the resources are there. All they have to do is is Google. Google is free. But they don't. (laughs) 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 I know that there hasn't been, um, you know, very many in-person events of late, but Crime Writers of Color is also um, involved in sort of helping conferences ensure that um, their panels are appropriately <laughs> created, <laughs> which is that they do the bare minimum. They do the literal bare minimum. Oh, but that's very important work because it's just it is. It's just like I remember it at the last BoucherCon that I was at, or I guess the last last one that there was, there was like a panel that was called not a diversity panel and it was right. like well i see i see what you right. were trying to do here and you did the act the absolute opposite of it <laughs> it's 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 my alexis going up it's just so weird where it's just like it's just to me it's a common sense of you can have like black people don't have, just have to be on a panel about a diversity right you know queer people don't have to be on a panel that's just about being queer but that's like a hard concept for some people to realize. Like, you can put me on a panel with Michael Connolly. Right. You can put Kristen Elaine on a panel with, like, I don't know, like Laura Littman. You can do this. Oh, please. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, such a, it's such a hard concept. And it's funny because I had a, an instance a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, where um, a guest of honor at a conference was like, you know, make sure that you guys have diversity. And of course, their first thing was to go, oh, we're just going to do a diversity panel. Mm -hmm. But all their other panels were like, okay, like, you know, I don't know, cozy culinary and, you know, like, I don't know, thrillers about suburbia. And our panel was just like three random people of color who had nothing in common. (laughs) Yeah. Except the fact that we were people of color, you know, and it's like my like background, like I could also talk about, I don't know thrillers in suburbia or like culinary code like we can still we can talk about those things too and it's just and it's you know it's always awkward like to have to point that out to people yes. yeah <laughs> you know so um so that's why we do it we have our conference liaisons kind of talking about because our thing is not diversity panels making all panels diverse right mm-hmm. and i think that like in some contexts like there's a place for a panel that's all about like queer crime writing but it's it only works when those authors are also included on other panels like you can't just sort of plop all of the writers from marginalized backgrounds into these buckets and be like Mm -hmm. great there our our programming was so diverse like let's pat ourselves on the back yeah yeah you know what would be fun would be a panel of all straight white men about writing as a straight white man except (laughs) no one would actually want to hear that but i would love to like make them talk about that instead of whatever they usually talk about (laughs) Yeah. Like, what is it like? Because well, I, I can't understand it. It's so outside my experience. <laughs> I personally would like a, a panel of of all white straight men having to talk about 
uh, books by non-white, non-straight writers. And uh, they would, exactly. They would, exactly. Women, they, and then they would embarrass themselves. <laughs> Right. I want them to talk about why they write women's breasts as though they have like sentience. That's what I would say. <laughs> why are you so bad at writing sex scenes? Have you ever had sex? <laughs> ever. Ever at all. <laughs> that one time. <laughs> well, the Kelly Garrett, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, like a Sister is fantastic and it is available in bookstores now. So everyone should jump on that right away uh kelly you want to tell us where people can find you if they read the book and just they want more kelly garrett sure um i spell my name a little different so it's k-e-l-l-y-e garrett is g-a-r-r-e-t-t um so my website is my name kellygarrett.com and then um when I started my social media, I didn't ever think I'd ever be like an author. So I was like, my t- Twitter handle is Kelly Kell, <laughs> super <laughs> professional. Um, so it's K-E-L-L-Y-E-K-E-L-L. And that's my Instagram. I'm all in the Twitter and the Instagram. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was so fun to talk to you. And we will definitely be having you on again in the future. You're Yay. one of our favorite guests. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you both. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening. Bye.